0: J'accuse mon petit fromage. Oh, fine. I I feel like we should mention that I'm back, too, at the top of the show. Because I am.
1: I mean, that's technically true, but apparently you're also a curse upon DC United this season.
0: (laughs) Yeah, our our buddy at Black and Red United, uh, Stephen Streff, uh, pointed out that when I host Filibuster in 2016, DC United is winless the following week. And when I am on vacation slash design in texas and we have our good friend greg roach uh step in for me uh dc united wins four to nothing with a hundred percent accuracy and a hundred percent of the time so we'll see if we can um break my particular streak this week against toronto um only slightly shorter
1: than the uh wins without perry kitchen streak
0: only slightly shorter and that it doesn't go back six years
2: like said, five years in
0: off season. Slightly, yes. Hey, hey, welcome in. And this is Buster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, back in the host chair after a week away in sunny, warm, beautiful Austin, Texas. Um, joined as always by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley, we are all from blackandredunited.com, uh, where you can find us writing about DC United. We also have coverage of the Washington spirit. We have a brand new beat writer dedicated just to the Washington spirit. We write about the U S national teams and a lot more. So, so be sure to check out the website. We've got a good show for you tonight. It's always a good show after DC United wins. And it's an even better show when they win really big, like they did last weekend against the Vancouver Whitecaps, four to nothing. Um, We're also going to preview next weekend's game against Toronto FC with our friend Kristen Knowles from the Vocal Minority podcast up there north of the border, because they do have the internet up there, it turns out, and they have podcasts, and they're fun. So uh, stick around to listen to her. Before we do anything, Ben, what are you drinking tonight?
1: So after, well, actually in anticipation of DC United's game, I decided to get some uh, whiskey to cover both of my bases, whether through trepidation or through celebration um and so I got uh a rye whiskey I got Ritten house rye, which is a good solid better than old overholt uh rye whiskey, but still somewhat affordable and not that
0: old overholt is bad
1: old overholt is fine i've I've been known to buy it's good. It's fine old, yeah. old overholt on many an occasion but uh Rittenhouse is bottling bond it's a hundred therefore it's a hundred proof. Uh, It's made by my favorite distillery, uh, that being uh, Heaven Hill, and it's good.
0: All right. Jason, what are you drinking?
2: Uh, Maybe prematurely, since we've only got the one win on the season. Uh, But I went with uh, a theme choice. Uh, I went with the Brewer's Arts Resurrection Ale, which uh, I've drank a few times. Uh, Hopefully this time DC is actually back from the dead, and this isn't just some sort of... uh, uh, corpse spasm of some kind that, that uh, I guess appears in medical literature. I don't know. I don't know enough about what happens to you when you die. Uh, to Your actually... metaphor was... Yeah, I shouldn't have gone into the metaphor but I did. Uh, I'm the Nigel DeJong of this uh, this metaphor.
0: Um, oh, You're not Nigel DeJong because you have regrets. You're capable of regret which he is apparently not. He's he not recognized.
2: It's a 50-50 ball.
0: <laughs> it's what he says. Everything's a 50-50 ball.
2: Anyway, Resurrection Ale, very, very good. Um, from uh, It is. Arizona we've both home had home. it on the show. I think I've times. brought it to one of our meetups, which we actually uh, are only a few days from having another one.
0: It's true. I was going to wait until the second segment to talk about it, but I'll talk about it now before I get into my beer. This weekend at RFK Stadium, uh, we are having uh, one of our semi-annual-ish uh, tailgate meetups um, come out. Join other listeners of the podcast, readers, and commenters on the website. Uh, we have a tent that will be on the the you know group tent row, kind of, on the walk to the tunnel uh, to get from Lot 8 to the stadium. So come out. We'll be there starting around 1 o'clock and be there until shortly before kickoff when we'll go inside and watch DC United hopefully handle TFC. Tonight I'm drinking a beer that is essentially Louisiana's answer to uh, Flying Dog's Dead Rise in Maryland. Whereas that is an old Bay beer. This is a Louisiana spiced ale with um, lots of Cajun spices. It's from Abita down in New Orleans. So it makes perfect sense for, for what it is. And it's really tasty. I, I do recommend it. Um, especially if you're a fan of Cajun and Creole uh, food. Ben, what is that on your face? Is Jasper caressing you with his tail?
1: Yeah. He's okay. also a fan. Well, he's really a fan of uh, Maine Justice. So he heard you talking about Cajun things and decided to wander over.
0: I'm just going to let that sit. I'm not even going to pick it up. <sighs> DC United got their first win of 2016. I'm just going to not even bother with a segue or transition. I'm just jumping into it. DC United got their first win of 2016 this weekend in a big way running the Vancouver white caps out of the building to this tune of four to nothing braces from Fabiana Spindola and Alvaro Sabarillo who subbed on for Fabiana Spindola. Um, really was the story. Luciano Acosta with a couple of really nice assists on both of Sabarillo's goals. He also came in as a substitute. Ben, you feeling pretty good after this one?
1: I mean, yeah, obviously I'm feeling pretty good. It was a comprehensive performance against a team that's supposedly one of the best teams in the West. I mean, obviously they were missing some players, but who isn't missing some players? So yeah, it was good. I don't want to take too much from it because it's just one game. And we seem to somehow be able to take advantage of the Vancouver Whitecaps every year in the past couple, but it's, it came at the right time for uh, this team and this fan base. And I'm feeling pretty good about it.
0: Yeah. It used to be FC Dallas that we'd take advantage of, especially early in the year. Um, Obviously that wasn't the case this year. I was hoping it would be, and it really, really wasn't. So it's nice to find another victim to, to put into their shoes. Um, Jason, as Ben said, Vancouver were missing a couple of pieces. Matias Lava and uh, Pedro Morales are a couple of really big pieces, no matter who you are in this league. Um, they came out without them and played even worse than anyone would have expected. How how much of our good feelings should be tempered by the fact that Vancouver were really, really poor?
2: I mean, you, you do have to acknowledge that this was not a good performance by Vancouver at all, and um, it does make you – you want to keep your feet on the ground. Uh for the for nothing was equal parts DC putting it together and also Vancouver just not from start to finish, not having uh, not having a good game plan, individual players not playing well. Um it just it, it was a mess from the Whitecaps from start to finish. Um and so, you know, it, it, you you do you do have to say that it's good that United took advantage. We've seen that before um where United started out well against a team that didn't have a good plan in place. Um, going back to the season opener against Corretaro, they played really well. They frustrated them. Um, probably with a little bit of luck, they get the away goal and that whole thing is a completely different series. But, um, at the time, what actually happened was they didn't get the away goal and then they made, you know, Corretaro made some adjustments. They started, they didn't have any reason to get discouraged. Whereas United gave Vancouver reasons to feel discouraged, um, I think it was crucial that they got the goal before halftime. Um, because if it's halftime after the first half and it's zero zero still, Vancouver can just brush the whole bad experience off and, you know, make adjustments and they still feel fairly good about themselves because they're, you know, they're on the road at zero zero. That's not bad. Um, especially missing Laba and missing Morales. That's actually probably a pretty good feeling regardless of the play on the field. But, they give up the goal that they give up and then they've got to start looking at it as like, well, now we can't just adjust to try and, you know, finish this thing out and get a draw or a win. Now we need to change how we play just so we can get anything out of this game. Um, they brought on Kakuta Mane, who was probably their best player on the night, but um, it was still fits and spurts from him and that was the best thing they had going. So Vancouver was bad. Um, I think Carl Robinson said it best when he said that they they got what they deserved out of the game. Um he did not have any qualms about four nothing as a final scoreline, even though the last two goals were clear, clearly just padding the scoreline with Vancouver sending numbers forward and, uh, Acosta and Saburio cutting up the remaining two or three guys. Um, you know, it makes it look better than it was, but it was still good. And it's still the kind of thing that United isn't at the point where we can start saying like, Oh, well they, you know, they beat a bad team. So it's not as good a big of a deal when you don't have any wins. It really doesn't matter so much, uh, yeah you, you take what you get. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you, you
0: can, can run up the score on someone it's even better
2: right and and you know, as we talked about at the beginning, it was a win that this team needed in a lot of different ways um and you could see you could see on the you know on the the players on the field at the end of the at the end of the game, they were feeling it too. There's a lot of pressure. there's a lot of guys on this team that have been winners elsewhere i mean Marcelo Sarvas has m l s cup wins to his name, Lamar Nagel has supporter shields to his name. Um, a lot of these guys that stayed in place made the playoffs. So, um, they're all coming in expecting to do well. And for you to go, you know, to have seven games to start the season without a win, that's none of, none of those new guys and none of the old guys are going to be okay with that and going to be used to that. It's not something that they're accustomed to. So for them to get the win, you could see that they're like, all right, now we're actually on course. Now we can actually start looking towards, uh, being who you know we expect ourselves to be going forward.
0: Fabiana Spindola and Chris Rolfe got the start up top, which is who we all expected going into the last offseason. We expected those two to be the starting front line, obviously, with Luciana Costa coming in. That changed for a little while. Um, this was the first time we really saw the chemistry between Rolfe and Spindola that we got used to. Uh, in 2014 and, and for a chunk of, of last year when they were both healthy and on the field and not suspended, Fabi. Um, it, it resulted in two goals for Spindola, who I think, the, obviously, I think he, he was most people's man of the match in this one. But I want to talk about his positioning and the way he approached this game, which was there are two things that, that stood out to me. One, he wasn't playing a hero ball every single chance. He wasn't trying to win the game by himself. And that meant that his positioning could be a little more as a striker. He, he did flare out as he is wont to do, but he didn't pick up the ball in our own half all that often, except when, you know, it was a counter attack or opportunity or something like that. When we were all, all, the whole team was in United's half in possession. He actually stayed in front of goal and on counter attacks. He made runs at the goal, not out wide to, try to take the ball and make a forty yard shot that has no chance of anything. So it was really nice to see him actually uh play as a forward and get some success. Ben, do you think that's something he'll keep up or is is this something that, you know, we just have to hope Ben Olsen is just hitting Fabi on the head with a newspaper saying, do that more.
1: Well I mean yeah, I think it's a it's it's both of those things. I think he will have to keep it up this year because This year, unlike previous ones, he's not the sole creative force on this team anymore. And he, if he tries to, if, with this team, if he tries to win the game completely by himself, like he's tried to do from time to time with DC United, it's going to be a detriment to the team. Um, and it's going to be an interesting going forward seeing how he and Rolf work together and if Fabi can keep this up because, the only way that Acosta and Fabi work together is if Fabi plays more in this manner uh, and isn't trying to win the game by himself. Because Acosta is somebody who is and who can be as good as, if not better than Fabian. So if they work together instead of uh, trying to work separately... That's the only way that this team is really going to work to the best of their abilities
0: let's talk about Acosta a little bit because he came on as a sub in this and had two really slick really gorgeous assists to Alvaro Sabarillo. Um granted Vancouver's defense was stretched and pretty well defeated at this point they were going through the motions uh, especially on the last goal they didn't even bother closing him down which is not to take anything away from the skill uh, Acosta showed on on those two assists they were fantastic through balls that were perfectly weighted and and Matt Doyle gave one of them pass of the week he said it could have gone to either one so he just picked one um, but Vancouver was stretched and Acosta came on as a sub Fabi scored two goals with Rolf you know helping out on one of them Jason should Acosta get the start or will it be well we know it will be right. Fabi yeah. and Rolf up top next week for because that's what Olsen does for that.
2: Uh, What do you
0: want to see? What do you think should happen?
2: Well, What interests me is that the the primary issue with Acosta and Espindola as a pairing was that Espindola wasn't taking up very good positions, and he was trying to do everything by himself. He was just ignoring not just Acosta, but everyone. Um, The way he played against Vancouver, you could put him next to Acosta, and that would work really well because he was taking up positions that would really help Acosta. He was... Making runs through the center channel, he was uh, not dropping so deep as we talked about. Um, he was I combining think, with teammates and not right. taking forty-yard shots. It was right. gorgeous. It was wonderful. Um, he was playing the way he needs to play, and if you pair that with Acosta, I think you've got something potentially really special. Um, especially since it's a situation where they are the two most inventive players on the team. With all due respect to Rolf, he would be third in that, that setup. Um, so I, I think Olsen's got a tough situation on his hand because, uh, the team, this isn't a team that's still going, I don't think we're still going to see a team that it's, uh, struggling to score. I think, um, they're not going to be the, you know, getting the 50 something goals on the, on the season at the end of the year. Um, so you've got to find a way to get those guys on the field. And, the argument against Acosta was basically, well, he's not really that compatible with a spindle, a spindle of the way he has been playing, but a spindle had changed the way he played. Um, so if that's change, then it stands to reason that Acosta should be getting more of a look in alongside him rather than it being one or the other on the field at the time, essentially. Um, because Acosta is not compatible with Rolf. I mean, we already have a, a setup where it's two withdrawn forwards, uh, Broadly speaking, I mean, Spindle and Rolf are very different, but they aren't. Neither of them really leads the line. Acosta and Rolf is that too much a much further extreme. You can't really do that at all. Um, you can barely do what United's doing without being in, incredibly clever. Uh, all pretty much all of the time, it puts tremendous demands on not just the forwards, but on the wide midfielders because then they've got to supplement those runs into the middle, which is why we saw. Uh, Niarco coming through the middle to head in against San Jose. Um, we've seen uh, Lamar Nagel try and make those runs. Uh, but it's, you know, you're adding 20, 30 yards a few times a game onto somebody's uh, workload. And, and even the central
0: midfielders in that on niarco's on goal against San Jose, it was Nick DeLeon making the near post run, the, the strikers right. run on right. that
2: because they've gotten forward. And and those extra sprints, they, they build up, and all of a sudden you're going to have tired legs, much more tired legs than you would normally. Um, so it's a, it's a demanding system for a lot of different players in a lot of different ways. Um, but if Acosta can make this kind of an impact on games, then it's it becomes very difficult to leave him out, especially if the main issue that you would fall back on as a defense for it no longer exists. If a Spindler can... He's not going to play this well. He's not going to just go scoring two goals left and right. But if he can play in a similar fashion to how he played against Vancouver, if he can show the positional discipline to not roam around so much and to not drop so deep and to trust his teammates um, a lot more and to be a little more patient with the ball. I mean, there's a certain certain thing to be said. We, you know, we talk about bravery and attacking players, and usually we mean like flinging themselves into dangerous areas. It also it also takes bravery on the ball to make that one more pass, and I think Espindola wasn't showing that when he was opting to shoot so often, um, and that's why we saw so many shots getting blocked from long range that counted towards the shot total, but you know they're not really shots. No one no one thinks back and said, oh if if you know, if, if if only that shot from thirty five yards hadn't been cleanly blocked by someone who saw it coming a mile away. Um or that, no one, or that
1: shot that both started and ended outside of the frame of the uh, m l s stats uh board
2: yes um the the shot from near midfield uh that nearly went out for a corner um those they are go out a corner not, nearly went out for a throw in that yeah, that's what I mean um <laughs> yeah, those are not brave moments those are a player that isn't showing especially with a spin we know enough about him now to know when he's confident and when he's not that was not confident play that was. A impatient uh, rush, sort of. I don't know what else to do. It's sort of a panic shot. Um, a lot of those were the keeper's on off his line. I have to do this
0: now, and it right. has to work.
2: Um, yeah, and, and having the the bravery to take that extra, you know, to take the risk of making one or two extra passes um, and make a run into the box when, and all of a sudden you're seeing him take shots from inside the penalty area, um, which it turns out is much easier to score in there than it is from f- far away. Um, yep. Yeah, um, I think if a spindula can keep this sort of play up regularly, uh, then Acosta's argument for time g- grows stronger. It's a weird situation where Acosta kind of needs a spindle to play like this to increase his argument to get on the field. Um, because, I mean, we've seen what he can do. We've seen that he has a game-changing element that we don't have from any. We don't get from Rolf because he's a different sort of player. Um, it would be really nice if we could get all of them on the field at once. But I think we've also seen that Nagel fits the physical demands of left midfield a lot better than Rolf does at this point. Um, mm-hmm. that's not a knock on Rolf; but he's just he's a forward at this point in his career. He's not a wide midfielder. Right. It would be um,
0: nice if we could even. I I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of a rotation among the the three of them. Obviously, right, Bobby's yeah. the one that it actually fits the mold of a forward. And Alvaro Sabarillo is also a center forward. Some people were calling for him to start after his performance. I think that's uh, there's much less of an argument for Sabo at this point than there is for Acosta. Um, I I looked at the numbers today and Sabarillo has nine starts for DC United and his goals per 90 in those nine starts is 0.25. He scores one goal every four games that he starts, which is for a forward, not really enough you want you want at least one every two games uh for a, a high quality forward that you want starting when he comes in on a sub he has just an absolutely ridiculous he has six appearances on a, as a sub um and and has played like 120 minutes and has four goals in in that time which is
2: good for three goals per 90 <laughs> which is just an outrageous well, statistic and it's a good example of why certain players will always end up being substitutes rather than starters. And that's who Sabo is at this point. He used right. to be a starter at this um, point. He is he sort of like Alan Gordon is for the galaxy. Um, where, exactly right. and hopefully he comes to embrace that because that means he can still make a huge difference on a team that is trying to do things. Um, you don't have to be a starter to be heavily involved and to be valued by your team. Um, and that's something that Gordon has done in LA is that he understands he's not going to be playing more than 30 minutes. He's not upset about it because he knows that he is good at playing in those final 30 minutes. He's he can make a real impact on his team going forward. He can win his team points. Um, hopefully Saborio has a similar attitude about it because he can be a guy that changes the game coming off the bench and, uh, I don't know that he's going to keep up that level of strike rate coming in as a sub if if he's done if, if that's what's done over the course of the season. But it's certainly the evidence is there and we've got enough games at this point to start th- saying that, you know, the guy is much better as a sub than he is coming in as a starter.
0: A couple other guys I want to shout out are the central midfielders uh, who have this game on lock. Nick DeLeon's passing was an unreal 43 of 47, and Marcelo Sarvas was a an also very good 45 out of 56. Um, combined 85-plus percent, which is um, really good in central midfield. That is what you want out of this formation that, that Ben Olsen has them running. Um, one thing we saw in this game was, uh, in, in Jason, you and I talked about it uh, during Lot 8 Live, is of united's four goals three came on the counter attack and one was on a set piece we didn't see any from a, a slow casual not casual but a a more prolonged build-up which there aren't a lot in mls that are from a prolonged build-up but it would be nice to see that there were some chances that came out of build-up but the goals came from from the counter do you think ben that that the counter is something that this team can be about going forward especially with guys like Nagel and Iarco on the wings and Acosta or Rolf or with the spindula,
1: I mean, yeah, I think it has to be what they're about, at least in the near term. I think it is an evolution of what people like to derisively call Benny Ball, but I think it is a step forward with the players that they currently have, uh, especially when Acosta is on the field. He can provide those incisive balls that really turn a defensive, gritty performance into something that looks a lot more, uh, beautiful, even though it's a fairly similar, uh, situation and a fairly similar style of play overall. And so I'm hoping that this is just the next step of what Ben Olsen has been doing and making it, uh, even better and even more attractive soccer. But yes, I think this team is still set up to be a counterattacking team. And especially if, uh the left center back, whoever, whomever it is from week to week decides to uh, play well and be a proper partner for Steve Birnbaum, that's going to help uh, this situation in this team and uh, this counterattacking style as well.
0: Yeah, uh, we, we should shout out Bobby Boswell in this because he was, as much as we talk about how spindle was more disciplined, so was Bobby Boswell. His, his long balls were generally, uh, they needed to be long when he hit him. He didn't hit any unnecessary, really bad long balls. Um, he hit a few long ones, but they were when he had no targets immediately around him. And he looked for someone to hit, not just launching it to a spot that may or may not have a teammate there. So so props to Boswell on this one for, for having a good game. Um, last thing in this segment before we bring Kristen Knowles on to help us preview the Toronto game, we're going to open up the Twitter box. We got A question from Jimmy R, who is at NN Gooner on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU. Once Hamid and Dykstra get healthy, what goalkeeper do you expect? And what keeper do you want to stay or go? Because United, as I think most of our listeners know, have five goalkeepers on the roster right now. There's uh, Bill Hamid, who's recovering from a knee injury. Um, should be back in training soon. Could be back by the end of next month. There's Andrew Dykstra, who's out on an injury of his own. Won't be back at least until June. There's Charlie Horton, a young guy signed, uh, most recently was with Leeds United over in England. He is out with a concussion suffered in training. Uh, and then there's the the two guys who are active right now. Um, Travis Wara, who got a shutout, not his first shutout. Um with united in his second year as a professional and there's tally hall who just signed last week and seems like he has a chance to supplant Wara just based on his history in mls um once he gets up to speed but we've said that about multiple people and they keep getting hurt you guys maybe charlie horton or maybe uh travis Wara is injuring people to keep himself on the field i don't think that's what's happening but i don't think we can rule it out um Anyway, to, to Jimmy's question, Jason, what, which two guys are going to be the odd ones out?
2: Uh, well, I imagine that Horton ends up on loan um, because he's a young player. He needs games somewhere. And we've seen United um, not just send players to Richmond, for example, but um, you know Connor Shinovsky spent an entire season with Fort Lauderdale in the NASL. Jalen um,
0: Robinson went to Arizona.
2: Right. Um so this this is one of the United is one of the few teams that has actually had um the willingness and the wherewithal where the, you know they'll check with the kickers I'm sure first but if the kickers are like look Ryan Taylor the goalkeeper they they have down there um, was by all accounts pretty solid last year if they say look you know we're in the business of winning games and Taylor's our guy so if you send Horton he might not play more than 5 6 times over the course of the year you know united could be smart enough to say well why don't we you know look for somebody else um you know there's always there are plenty of teams the usl is is enormous now uh, it's expanded uh by a lot um the nasl has added some teams there's always somebody that's going to need a goalkeeper that's going to be willing to give your give your guy a chance um so i think he's going to end up on loan um for his own sake uh for you know he's not going to get better just hanging out training uh he's got to play real games and that's that doesn't look like it's about to happen because of the fact that Wara has been pretty solid since he's been here um and then tally hall being signed that just adds to it really when you think about it the the issue becomes Wara or dykstra and i know you, you guys are pretty much aligned with me on this one that because of dykstra's age because of his cap hit um he'd have to be significantly better than Wara. and right now i don't think you can say that i think maybe when both of them are at their average i would say Dykstra is better but not by so much that i would keep him for the cat pit we're talking about um for the age difference you know Dykstra's not going to get much better uh if at all he's he's done developing whereas wara has been developing pretty quickly i think he's improved a lot since 2015 to 2016 um so i think it it's a it's a situation for Dykstra where the injury couldn't couldn't have happened at a worse time for him um, because he went from establishing that he could even be an option when Bill Hamid inevitably leaves for millions and millions of dollars uh, to now possibly not even being on the team because now Hall is in place. Uh, assuming everyone plays their best, he's the, the best goalkeeper, not named Bill Hamid on the team. Um, and Wara has established that he is a – a player with potential that a few years from now could be capable, a capable starter over a full season. So, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to come down critical on Dykstra. It's not his fault. He's injured and he's been, you know, a solid enough backup for, for a few years now. And, and he's a local and, you know, uh, he has some interests uh, like ours in his interest in beer. Um, But, uh, it does seem, from the outside looking in, it seems pretty dicey for him right now because of Warro's play combined with the acquisition of Hall, which you can't really blame United for because if a goalkeeper of his caliber is out there floating around, and, and apparently he signed for a very small contract for his quality. Um, right. for and, his- and, and
0: if you need a second goalkeeper because three of your four are hurt. Then-
2: right. And, and, you know, as I, as I mentioned with Hamid potentially transferring, um, United has to have a plan in place there, and we've seen this team struggle over the years with a- acquiring players from abroad. Um, they have been really good at gauging the quality of a goalkeeper, I will say that, but they haven't gone abroad for that yet.
1: Well, except um, when they brought Troy Perkins back.
2: That was a long time ago. Um,
0: I was going to go even further back and celebrate the trophy that Louis Creighton won with this. Yeah,
2: Creighton team. is the last, and Creighton was not very good. Um, oh, he was come on, a the
0: sweeper keeper. Long live the he sweeper was, keeper.
2: If if I were a neutral who did not care about D.C. United's uh, hopes and dreams, I would say, wow, he's really fun to watch. Um, But anyway, um, having someone like Hall in place who is established, uh, he has a long record of success in MLS. He's not uh, for a goalkeeper. He's not old. Um, That's a move you've got to pull the trigger on. And even if you you tell him, look, you signed this year, um, in all likelihood, Hamid, might not be here next year, you know, we might be looking at, we might be talking about what we're going to do with the transfer fee with, with Hamid in a year. Um, especially since the U S national team's goalkeeper situation is also not very, uh, not very good. It's, it's in flux. If, if Hamid is fit and uh, hits form, he's going to possibly take that. So um, yeah, it's, it's not a great situation for Dykstra right now, but through, mostly through bad luck
0: the flip side of that is it's actually a pretty good situation for DC United to be in um, because for by, by all accounts, Horton is a promising young keeper and keeping him on the books, even if by sending him on loan somewhere else for a year or a year or two, then, you know, that, you know, Tally Hall's a good guy to have on the roster. Horton is a good prospect. War is a good prospect. Um, and Bill Hamid is Bill Hamid. So it might just be that Dijkstra is a little bit unlucky here, but that's, good for united to be in this situation not great for dykstra though we will be right back with kristen nalls from the vocal minority podcast so stick around this is filibuster the black and red united podcast well it's a it's a new season here in dc for dc united and for us here at filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast yay us happy birthday us uh we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor the Ehrlich law office they provide discrimination wage and litigation solutions for those of us living in northern virginia and the district of columbia sorry jason you're out of luck i i guess i'm doomed you you are doomed um this message goes to people in nova and dc your rights matter you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work um
1: marylanders deserve none of that
0: i, I wouldn't go that far ben but we'll, but we'll people in nova, and to, people in northern virginia dc that definitely applies to you i can't speak to whether it applies in maryland uh if you th- have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft Uh, you're you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation your civil rights have been violated uh, or there's been illegal taking by the government or you have uh, disability issues or you have a complaint in education law then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to they're good friends of the show Uh, I I know the, the lawyers there personally they are really good at their jobs and they're really good people Uh, And you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to Ehrlich law com slash filibuster. Welcome back to filibuster. DC United are back at RFK stadium this weekend where they will host Toronto FC Saturday. Kickoff is 5 PM and it'll be on news channel eight here in the district and on the Sinclair station of wherever you happen to live. If you're in the general DC area, but Those of us on this podcast will be at RFK starting at 1 p.m. for our, like I said earlier, semi-annual-ish tailgate meetup thing. Uh, It's Potluck and BYOB, but there will be listeners of the podcast, there will be readers and commenters from the website, and we will be there with other writers from Black and Red United. So you should all come out that's the important thing there will also be a soccer game against toronto fc blah 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 to help us with that part of it we have kristen Knowles from the vocal minority podcast kristen welcome back to filibuster
3: thank you so much it's been a while good to see you guys
0: yeah good to see you what are you drinking tonight
3: i am drinking uh it's called stranger than fiction from collective arts uh they're a local brewery in hamilton and it's the porter and it is delicious
0: excellent um it's true so uh i I was looking over toronto fc's uh season to date and and one thing jumped out at me it's that that your reds are on exactly the opposite trajectory from dc united dc united started the year (laughs) winless and finally got their first you guys got off to a flying start two nothing win at red bull arena and you haven't gotten the full three points since you even lost at colorado
3: Oh, you had to bring up the Colorado game, did you? Is that how we're going to play? All right. I, I
0: had. Do to. we want to
3: talk about goals against?
0: Um, given that we played against LA and lost badly, not really. We, but... we also had a
3: disappointing <laughs> game against Colorado.
0: <laughs> we we did.
3: It was a very disappointing game against Colorado. That was horrible.
0: So, so what's um, going on with your Reds uh, at this point? Why why haven't they win in a few?
3: Because we're on the road and it's TFC, and they suck on the road. No, um, it's uh. Part of it, I think, is well, this particular game on the weekend, lucky to get a point, and I will not argue that at all, that we got some very nice calls our way, and that they played a boring ass first half. that was I refer to it as sleepwalking through the first half. And yeah, they finally sorted it out in the second. But you know, four three three's been looking nice this last game, the four, four, two was a little unpleasant, shall we say, a bit clunky. And the return of Josie Altador is what it is. Whether or not I have my own issues with him, um, as anybody that listens to me or reads anything I write knows. Um, I think right now we're suffering because no one other than Seva can score. And that there's still uncertainty in the midfield, even with a much better even with a much better team. Um, I don't know. They went into Colorado. That is a game they absolutely should have won no matter what. And they fell into boring little pieces. I don't know. It was a very odd game. And the New York game, they never should have won. They had no business winning that game. And they did. Although New York is, of course, in free fall, which we're all loving. Um, <laughs> yes. No one
0: more than us. Come
3: on. How is he? Yeah, no one is going to argue with me on that because that is the most delightful thing. That and a winless crew, like, Seattle, I, like the start of this season is so much fun. It's, I'm going um, to burst
0: your bubble, though. The impact are first. Do it. The impact are in
3: first. That'll bur- because they I didn't even hear that. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's no team in Montreal. <laughs> and Kyle Becker didn't score on the weekend. <laughs> you know how hard that is to take? Kyle Becker scoring a nice goal. That's terrible. Um, no, it's... You know what, this is the teams they're 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 at all fives right now, which is hilarious. Five played, five points, five goals for, five game, goals against. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little bit of symmetry right now that I hope they break this weekend. Hi. And uh, we'll, well.
0: we'll have six games played.
3: Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um it's a road trip. It's an eight game road trip to start the season and if they just come out of it without looking ridiculous, we'll all be pretty happy. And so far, even with the game in Colorado and even with Luck uh, against the the, the terrorists. Um, it's, they haven't looked terrible. They've looked boring. They've looked lucky to have Clint Irwin. Thank you, Clint Irwin. And, yeah, I could just keep going. What else do you want to talk about?
0: So you mentioned the four three three last week. Of course, you reverted to the four four two that that Toronto FC ran a lot last year. Um, Josie Altzendorf came back, and that kind of facilitated that. What do you expect to see going forward? What do you want to see going forward out of Toronto formation-wise?
3: I think right now we're probably going to see four four two. Although I would rather see the four four three three, just because I think it's been more effective. I think there's been, as you saw. In the game on the weekend, the second half when they reverted back to the four three three, it was uh, a lot better flow through the midfield. Uh, the defense was still really engaged and actually more engaged in the game. The attack was working better, but yeah, as soon as Josie came back, we knew it was going to a four four two. And I think, you know, I understand why you're trying to have the sort of the big little situation have Seba and outdoor play off one another, but I think there is a value in the four three three. You have Seba drop back a little deeper. Um, I just think it works better. But we run into that same situation that we had last year with Michael Bradley. You know, where does he play? And then we're right now we're changing the formation to suit one player. So we're going back from something that's worked, you know, somewhat effectively so far this season. The four three three hasn't been terrible. It's actually been surprisingly good in, an, in a couple of games uh, to the 442 which you know in the, this weekend looked pretty darn clunky and I don't know that it is the best thing to go forward and I think honestly the 433 will work better against you guys so <laughs> uh,
2: Kristen I, I guess the first thing you mentioned uh, the game road trip um, which is an enforced uh, problem on TFC. Yes. Um, for, for our fans that might not be aware of what's going on up there, why are you guys on the road for eight games? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you want to talk about my Franken-stadium? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we are under renovations for the second year in a row as they make BMO Field, what was once a small, yes, fairly cheap, charming little stadium into, I don't know, something glorious and wonderful and the things that the sponsors and the suits will shell out vast sums to come hang out in. It's, they want it to uh, look British, damn it. Uh, well, <laughs> if it was British, we would have four stands, not three. Um, that's probably the biggest. That and the... Uh, I can't even call it a canopy. I don't even know what it is that's over our seats. If you've seen any pictures, go online, Google it, go to thetorontofc.ca, go to any of our websites, except for ours, because we have not given it any more ink, um, and see the giant... I don't know, cover over the south end. That's like, I don't even know how many feet above us it is, but it is not going to protect us from anything. Mm -hmm. Unless the rain is very gentle and falls straight down in a very nice orderly line, it's not going to do a damn thing. On the west and east stands, yeah, sure, it looks impressive. And then there's the empty north stand. Anyway, we're under construction. We're preparing for the stupid local... Uh, CFL team. Yes, I called them stupid. Um, and no, I don't care.
2: Um, it's, it's so frustrating <laughs> I, to have that. too many Argos fans that are going to rise up and complain about it. Probably not. The not. They're I probably not. Really we in... have one. If we do yes, have, it would Argos be awesome fan. if we had just one. Tweet us. Well, a if we about do. i
3: controversy much. for you, which brings you more, uh, more, more uh, interaction. Um. So yeah. So that's a big part of it too. Is the renovation to allow for the Argos to come in. And one of the reasons why there is a giant freaking space behind us is so they can put in temporary stands for not the Argos because the Argos play in a smaller configuration than TFC do, but for the winter classic. Yes. For hockey. Our stadium does it all guys. It's the super stadium, which we don't like, but whatever. (laughs) Sorry. I just, we've ranted about this so much for two years and it's, um, uh, you know, opening day will be a big surprise because we don't know what it's going to look like.
0: But the road trip last year did and end with you in the playoffs. So, you know, best year ever with
3: Play, the road trip. Playoffs. Playoffs. Um, <laughs> this is a better road trip than last year so far. They're mm. playing better and they're managing their bye weeks much better. They did stupid things last year and I was very, very happy to see them be uh, a lot more logical about it this year and realize what a giant mistake they made last year. It's just so exciting to have a right back who's actually a right back. It actually does like bring a tear to my eye because we, <laughs> we suffered last year with that stupidity. Um, but then what has been surprising, and the other guys might argue with me a little bit, has been, to me, the quite excellent often play of Damien Perkinson. Who knew? Maybe he actually just does need someone competent next to him to reel him in. Because the game on the weekend, he was one of the better players. I was like, hey, Damien Perkis just did, wait a second, what's happening here? It's very confusing. Um So it is super exciting to have this competency at the back. And I think it's just now integrating them in with the rest of the team, honestly, is to get that... That midfield flow, that play from the back now, um, you know, Michael Bradley's been playing a more settled position, which, again, I've had very little bad things to say about Michael Bradley this year, which is a little uncomfortable for me because I'm used to hating on him.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a remember, weird situation. He is actually Canadian. Right. Uh, it's yeah, a weird situation in, for an MLS fan to have negative things about to say about Bradley and Altador, but, you know, we have to remember that for Canadian fans, they aren't your friend. That's not that's not someone you're rooting for when the the league isn't playing.
3: You know, it's not even it's not even that. It's not even that we at the Vulcan Minority Podcast are staunchly anti-American. No, um, yeah. it is. So.
0: <laughs> I mean, it is that, but it's also well.
3: I am. I lead the charge on that, but you know, the, the guys just it's my house, so they follow my lead. Um, it's uh, honestly a lot of it is, and we could talk about this all night. It's a question of whether they've been worth the money, whether they were worth the uh, the hoops that this team went through whether they were worth burning bridges with other players other connections agents other teams like all sorts of things that have happened to get the two of them to Toronto um are they DPs Michael Bradley short sure. Josie I will still argue with a lot of people about that um I hope to see some quality from him this year but um yeah we're also, used to hating on our entire team, so there's like three players that we actually like so right. come
2: on. when 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 the situation becomes like you have four defenders who are good for the first time ever um yeah. you know you you have to you know or for maybe for some of our especially for our long time fans that live through long stretches of of great times, it's sort of hard to to put yourself in a different shoe where it's like imagine like twenty ten to twenty thirteen just over and over again. But no uh, no trip to the Red Bulls to knock them out of the playoffs. you know, no brief interlude of of fun times, yeah, no twenty twelve in there, yeah, um, uh, but I guess my last question is is a purely selfish question as a yeah. University of Maryland guy. Um, what have you guys thought of Subasa Endo? I know he hasn't played due to uh an injury the past I think two weeks, but um yeah. how has he been overall?
3: uh, it's funny. His first game was um it was like, ooh oh, we see what they did there. That was very exciting. Good, good, good pickup, guys. We see why you're letting the new kid play right away. Just throw him into the fire. And I think kind of like a couple of the younger players that they've given time to, he's sort of, you know, he's tapering off. It's... You know, you always have that that first game you play or whatever. You're full of energy. You're super excited to be on the big stage. I think time at TFC2 will be good for him. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I What I like about his game is I find he's got some good defensive awareness. And that is not always the case with uh, wingers for TFC. It's like, wait, what? We have to track back? And um, he certainly has shown a little bit more of that. We certainly uh, We enjoy the hair game. Um, we're not big on wild hairstyles here at TFC, but, you know, Sebasa, he gets a pass from us. And we love him for punting purposes, of course. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I want to see him come back from injury. I want to see him play. uh I do want to see him play some time with TFC too, just to get minutes and get more game sense for um this level of the league. But on paper and on, you know, a couple things, I don't really have a lot of bad things to say about him. So hopeful for the future and hopeful that we'll see you know, come the summer when we have to start mining the bench, when everyone's away at Copa America or, you know, you're Euro- over in Europe or wherever else, um, that he's got enough under his belt to, to produce something good.
2: It's it's interesting. Now, if I'm thinking about the players that he would be competing with. They're all pretty young. Uh, yeah. Marky Delgado, Jonathan Osorio, um, even Dan Lovitz is, what, 23?
0: Yeah, um, Mova the- bully
2: Yeah. Is, is Lovitz the old man in that group? He is.
3: (laughs) He really, he he is. Dan Lovitz is the old guy. I I guess Um, that's what happens
2: when you've got all that money put towards Bradley and Altidore is that somewhere along the way, someone's got to be cheap and cheap means young.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Which could mean good for the future. Should they actually retain the young guys, which there's possibility for that on this team, right? There's a lot of, potentially young talent. So that would be a novelty. Let's build towards the future. Uh, That's not something we have tried here for a while. Uh, So, yeah, but that is the thing is those are the guys he's going to compete against, but there'll be so many open spaces. There won't be a lot to compete for. It'll be like, Hey, you all get to play this game. Pick a position.
1: (laughs) So, um, my my question is about uh, Toronto FC and developing Canadian players. Uh, a lot of MLS has always been about developing American players, but um, how do you think the Canadian teams in Toronto in particular are doing at developing Canadian players, and should they be doing more at trying to do so? Well, the Canadian
3: team should always be trying to do more. There is a well-known joke about, you know, the Whitecaps hate Canada. Um It's not entirely true anymore. They actually have some Canadian players now. Uh, TFC has been doing a better job. The the problem that TFC does is when they try to bring players up, they do what, if you can call signing a homegrown player, a glamour signing, that's what they do. They're like, hey, look, look what we've done. We found this Canadian diamond in the rough and we put him in our academy and now he's with the first team. He's not going to play. Or he'll play about three minutes every six weeks, and he's going to sit on that bench and not get any time, and then we're going to decide that we don't like him anymore, we're going to cast him away, he's going to go play somewhere else and do something good. Um, That was kind of the TFC way, like they were, there was no middle ground, they would pull the kids out of the academy, throw them on the first team, because it sounded good, it looked good, and... Then they would, you know, they would be stagged, you know, they would just get stultified. They would get nailed to the bench. There was no progression. There was no time for them to actually learn the game, stick with the team for a couple of years, slowly ease into the first team and actually develop. Um, you know, when Osorio got signed, we were all like, Oh God, not again. You, know, you look at poor Ashton Morgan, depending on the coach. Um, he's been nailed to the bench. One year, other years he like Ashton Morgan has he is the only TFC player with a hundred or more appearances.
2: What, Ashton what he, like, Morgan's like twenty three years old. Yeah, uh and he's the appearances leader.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, because he got signed to the team so young, he was their first Academy product. I remember watching him play in the Academy. Ashton Morgan's a good player. He's got talent. Um, but depending on the coach, he gets nailed to the bench. But this happens all the time where, you know, Jordan Hamilton is a big question for the last two years. You know, he was sort of seen as the up and comer. He was going to be Canada's next, uh, striker. He was going to light it up. And then he kind of disappeared last season. Um, Down with TFC2, which is a good place for him because the season before they brought him up to the first team and then didn't use him. And last year, almost any time he was with the first team, he was a ghost. And so there's all these questions about how they're using Canadian players, I think, um, depending on where TFC2 plays. And, you know, we missed the Reserve League. We think the Reserve League... I don't know what you guys think, but we kind of like the Reserve League.
2: Ben um, Olsen's brother made regular appearances in the Reserve League for these United. <laughs> Reserve <Really>? League is <laughs> something special.
3: <laughs> okay, up here, it was a chance for the Canadian kids to play. Um, <laughs> it's it's just, it's about getting um, a better... UFC's like, academy is still really young. Um, it's a good academy. It really is. And... But you look at Sigma Academy and you look at some other of the, um, the soccer academies in Ontario and in around the GTA and whether or not, you know, they're doing a better job. That can be uh that can be a toss up, but it's whether or not they're going to work with Toronto to bring them, you know, into the first team or bring them into TFC two. And there seems to be a, thawing of relations between the various soccer communities and TFC because there were some issues in the early years and, um, you know, different factions didn't feel that TFC reached out enough and weren't including them and weren't asking them for opinions or asking them for um, their assistance or their thoughts. And I think there's been a bit of a change on that and we'll see going forward, at least in, in, in the Toronto area, that there'll be a bit more of a, collaborative effort and there'll be a stronger academy system where we actually will produce Canadian players this will be something you know we signed this kid when he was 13 and now he's going to play with the first team and this is a real thing I'm not sure I don't know enough about Montreal's development system I know Vancouver like I said have taken it a lot more seriously in the last little while and I think they're doing some good things too signing some homegrown players so it's getting there and then with the Canadian Professional League, Premier League, whatever the hell it is we're calling it this week, um, hopefully, hopefully actually happening. It's still just smoke and mirrors. It's such a, it's, it's happening, I guess, but you know, we're going to try and be a, a D1 league with no players. Um, that's what I, <laughs> that's my only argument. Like we need it. We desperately need it. We need a better Canadian league to, to develop, you know, in all cities, but, just because we say we have a D1 league doesn't suddenly like make the players amazing. You know what I mean? And that's the argument: is woo hoo, you play in D1 in Canada, you must be good. You know, it's not going to change until we have all the support from all the teams. So, I don't know if that answered anything you asked, or if I just rambled on <laughs> for five minutes.
2: Uh, Probably the worry. latter. Our listener base is used to that.
0: From me, <laughs> yeah, mostly from Jason. It's it's they're they're just happy to have enough. Uh, last question. I can for be concise.
3: You. I swear. Okay. Yeah.
0: Right, last question. Turning back to Toronto FC, how would you game plan against them? What's the best way to beat them at this point?
3: Uh, get past the defense. Cause we're not very fast. Long balls. They're going to try and press, get in behind that defense. And uh, Irwin while being a great change does not hang on to the ball as well as he should. So look for rebounds. Get in close to Irwin, and uh, if you take Seba out of the game, no one's going to score on you.
0: Yeah, that last one really big if. Not a lot of teams have been able to take him out of the game.
3: But no, but it's happened, right? You have to play a little rougher, basically. Look at look at it, look at New York City last year. They just basically fouled him out of the game. Although it, this year everything gets called apparently. Right. Um, well, as long as you're except not. Except for this weekend. Guys yeah well enough um, they they get to do whatever the hell they want every year you know that it, it's their I, league just playing in it
2: <laughs> last year when tFC came to town d c did really well for like eighty nine minutes against Juvenko, but there were two thirty seconds where they did not do well against Juvenko yes. and he scored that's two true utterly absurd goals, and tFC won two to one um which was a very frustrating day because it was like I, you know what do you do against someone that can do that where Uh, it's almost like playing against a a cheat code in a video game. You're you're just sort of like, well, yeah, it's like your hands up. frustration.
3: Except for, he really hasn't like as good as he is. And he's, he's great fun to watch still um, so far this season, but he hasn't had those game takeover situations yet. So there's, um, I think the road's may be getting a little, you know, the road's a little frustrating. You saw a lot more frustration in his game on the weekend. Um, so he can be he can be taken out just by purely pissing him off because his being being pissed off Seba does not always equal I'm going to score three goals on you. Um, it will equal a lot of hand throwing in the air and gesturing and apparently now rolling around on the ground too. So um, yeah, I'll call him out for that. I was pissed off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. Last year, DC United had a a central midfield that was built more for that kind of. Yeah. Kick them in the legs until they get mad.
2: But but not get in trouble for it.
0: But not get in trouble for it. Perry Kitchen and Davey Arno were very, yeah. very good at that. Oh, um, uh, how much do you guys
3: miss Perry Kitchen?
2: Uh, well we finally uh, won a game. We finally won a game for the first time him in yeah, so. five and a half years, so <laughs> Has it been that long? We literally when he was drafted, we did not win a single game without him starting or without him appearing in MLS until Saturday. Yes. Wow. That
0: is right. a fact.
3: Anyway, sorry, back to your midfield now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now we have Nick DeLeon and and Marcelo Sarvas, uh, who are also two very smart players, but they are not the kind of... Masters of the dark arts in the yeah. way that are kids so
2: trouble. Sar- 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 I'm S- expecting Sarvis
3: to get a red card. Um.
2: He, he will definitely, he will definitely kick some people, but he's going to get caught for it. Yes, he, he's, he's going to get, get at least cold. the yes. yellow
0: in this game. I yes. expect.
2: Stevie yes. Arnold had a great knack of kicking people and just being like talking to the referee and performing some sort of mind trick. I don't, don't know like, oh, how he's
1: such he's a smooth but that's all
2: it is is a foul, and the referee's like, somehow I agree. Yeah, he's not the card. We wan Kenobi at
0: some point. He had a general
2: screaming at the referee and he's like no you're you're in trouble. I, I yeah. don't you haven't tricked me at all. Yeah.
0: Kristen, it's, thanks for coming you know, on. But That's it's pretty
2: simple. Yeah.
0: That it's I like smart. coming on with
3: you guys. You guys are fun.
0: Uh tell our listeners where they can find you online.
3: You can find me on the Twitterverse at KZ Knowles and you can also hang out with us at vocalminority.ca or check out vocalminority.ca website. Yeah. Those those are the usual places, but I'm on Twitter a lot. So come at me, send me a note, chat away. I'm uh, good for banter. Oh, we did give you guys a shout out on our podcast this week, by the way. So make sure you listen to the end. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. That's a nice little nice little plug. Good reason to listen to vocal minority this week. Uh, as if there wasn't a good reason to listen every week. If you're looking for
3: Aww, a thank podcast, you.
0: find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U, for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, I would say tell a friend about the show. Uh, at the tailgate this weekend But you're going to be talking to other listeners At our meetup at the tailgate on Saturday So we will see you all there uh, Until then, thank you again Kristen and for Jason you're and welcome. Ben
3: Bye, guys.
0: I am Adam Say goodbye Jason
2: Goodbye Jason